Hi, I'm Steve Schlackman, host for this edition of the Entrepreneur Creative Careers Podcast. Today, we have Michael Hopka, a premier American figurative painter. And Michael started his career back in the 70s in New York, working his way up the ranks, eventually finding his works represented in permanent collections of a number of museums, such as Metropolitan Museum of Art, New York Museum of Modern Art, Brooklyn Museum of Art, so many others. And I'm really excited to talk to him about his career and how things have changed in the art world over the years and also try to figure out his secret to being such a successful artist. So hi, Michael. Nice to have you here. Thanks for having me. You know, I was reading your bio and you talk about in the beginning that you were showing your work to dealers and that it was very depressing and you'd walk from gallery to gallery trying to get yourself seen. So tell us what it was like back then for a struggling artist and whether you think that getting out and that kind of persistence matters today, or is it a much more uh, social media world? I think actually everything matters. I, you have to do everything. You have to go out there. You have to put your work on the street. You have to talk to everybody. You have to talk to people that don't like your work. They might change their minds. It was very depressing, but that's because I was very new at it. And uh, when you're young, taking no for an answer is quite difficult. As you get older, taking no just becomes part of how everything works. You seem to have embraced social media now. Well, social media is extraordinary, and it's a new development. The gallery system is pretty much dying. And the reason is, is everything that becomes petrified and stagnant just dies. And social media brought new life to the whole art world. It's a cliche, but it globalized it. You know, in the old days, when you showed in a gallery, it was 10 to 6 for 30 days on a street in New York and Soho. And I did many shows in Soho, many in 57th Street and Madison Avenue, and all, only the people that saw your work at the particular time of your show and happened to have time to stop in got to see it. The great thing about social media is you're out there 24-7. People all over the world can see it. It's only limited by the algorithm that Facebook and Instagram uses in terms of how often they will show it to all of your followers. Of course, they're essentially an advertising company and they don't want to give away anything for free. So you're limited by that, but people still can search for you. In the beginning of Instagram, you weren't limited by that. That limitation is kind of ugly, but I assume like everything in social media and everything on the internet, when that becomes so frustrating for people as it did with music and MySpace, alternatives will come about organically. And artists will always adopt new alternatives. So it's made the art more accessible, easier for you to get it out. There is much more competition. So how do you feel about the competition? But also, how do you feel about the knowledge of the people looking to buy art, about their understanding of art? Instagram and Facebook and social media in general helps educate your audience. So it doesn't really matter what collectors are thinking, what people out there, art lovers are thinking. You can't control what they're thinking, number one. You can't control their level of appreciation. You have to just put your work out there and let people follow their own path 
to you uh, and maybe not to you. Now, as far as competition goes, that's a really great question. You're not competing with anybody. This is not a business. This is an expression. Art is not a product like an iPhone. The whole competitiveness of any product is I'm going to make something better than my competitor is making. That's not the case in art. Art is trying to magically express something really inspiring. There are many avenues to inspiration. So how do you then cultivate your audience? I, I actually don't do anything but put my work out there. The whole idea that you have control is just completely, it's an illusion. There are lots of artists that advertise, you can spend money on getting your work out there. You can spend money on promotion. Galleries spend money on promotion. You know, the whole idea with advertising is pro and promotion is that you somehow manipulate your audience. I don't think artists really should go down that path. I like the idea of just putting your work out there and letting it sink or swim. Some people are going to go for your work and they're going to find it interesting and, and inspiring. And you never know where that's going to lead. And other people are just going to ignore your work. Some people will love you. Some people won't care about you. Yeah, you had talked about in having one of the legends in art, Meyer Shapiro, look at your work. How important was that particular feedback? Did it change the way you did things going forward? Are you still constantly trying to get feedback? And how important is that for other artists? Uh, when I approached Meyer Shapiro, he was just incredibly gracious and open to me. And he, he's a really great scholar. I read his book on Romanesque art, and I was very interested in his perceptions of art. When I, I showed him my work, that was very exciting. And it gave me a sense of validation that someone seriously involved in the art world and in art history was looking at my work, talking to me about my work, understanding it, and giving me feedback. That validation is very important. You know, I met a great painter that I really admired, Francis Bacon, and he was very open to my work and very generous with his criticism and praise. That was very exciting. And so I would encourage artists to show their work to as many other artists and scholars and people in the art world. Feedback is exciting. Feedback gives you another dimension on your work. Art is a way to relate to the past. When I look at a Rembrandt, I feel like I'm engaging with him personally. This is a very transcendental, deep thing about art, that it is actually timeless. So artists should participate, going backwards, going forwards, projecting themselves into the future. Walt Whitman and his poetry always projected himself into the future. He recognized the audience that's going to look at his work and read him down the line. I think all artists think about this. So I think it's really exciting to participate in that. Artists should. And, and you're a mentor. How important do you think finding a mentor is? And how do you go about finding the right mentor for, for your type of art? I don't know if I ever specifically found a mentor. Early on, I uh, saw paintings by Norris Embry, who I, I could say is my mentor because 
he, in a very early stage, he accepted my paintings. He encouraged me. And through him, I really understood what living as an artist was all about. So that removed a big question about what it was like. When you read art magazines, you're getting a very false impression of what the life of being an artist is like. Galleries only promote themselves, and they promote a very narrow view of the artist and a very narrow view of what art life is all about. Because after all, the purpose of their promotion is just to sell their work to collectors. They don't really care about artists, and they only care about art that they can sell. You know, it's a tough business. So artists have to get around that. They have to really see what the truth is. They can see what the truth is from their own life, but it's very helpful when you're a young artist to, to actually engage with artists that have lived the life. That gives you a perspective that's just priceless. Right. So you said they want to just sell art. But as an artist, you also want to sell art. I assume there's a line where it just gets much more difficult to sell your art if you're not catering to the market. Should you even consider that? Should you just create? I never think about what people want to buy. I kind of find that approach useless. It's also spiritually demeaning. I didn't become an artist in order to figure out what people want and then provide them with that service or that product. If I wanted to do that, there were a million things that I could do. After all, most products that people buy in life have specifications. If you figure out the specifications and you make it attractive, people will buy your crap. Being an artist is about something entirely different. It's really about finding something deep within inside yourself, totally undeniably moving and necessary to express and share. And whether or not that is going to sell or not is really a uh, something you can't consider beforehand. Of course, after you've made it, you've already spent the money on your studio, you've spent the money on your paint, and you have old inventory. And of course, you want to sell it. So when people come to you and you show them the work, you sell the work if they want to buy it. It's a very simple transaction. What I find is you don't have to think about sales at all. All you have to do is be there. When you're there, people come to you. Some people will like your work. Some people won't. Don't waste any energy on people that don't want your work. You don't have time for that in life. To that point about inventory, the question I always have is, how do you price your work so that you don't have so much inventory? Or is it best to just pick a price that you think your art is worth and try to get it sold at that price? Figuring out the price is a pretty simple thing. You just generally look around for artists your own age uh, that have a similar level of stature and renown, and you price your work accordingly. It's pretty easy to figure out. You also have to keep in mind that you don't sell the majority of work. You're always going to have extra. So if you make 10 paintings, you're probably only going to sell three of them. So the price has to cover those other 10. You might sell some of those seven years down the line. Paying for storage is part of the life of being an artist. 
when you're a young artist, I would just look around, look at my peers. I wouldn't undervalue myself. I, I never did. I don't think it's useful. I think art is precious. It's worth something. And to people who want it, it's priceless. Do you still try to promote that old inventory? Sure, I do. I love my work. I've got a lot of work. I work all the time. And so, you know, I accumulate work. And in social media, every day, I pretty much post one painting. And what I do is go, I go through my image database. It, the work goes back to the 70s. And I completely intuitionally decide, oh, I'd like to show this painting today. So I promote everything of mine, whether it's old work or new work, whether it's something I just finished or it's something someone else owns or a museum owns. It doesn't matter to me. I've sold quite a lot of work on Instagram, and it's generally people from all over the world that look at you for a long time. They fall in love with your work. They decide to buy something, they message you, and it's a very simple transaction. From a pricing perspective, when you're selling direct and you're keeping it all, are you discounting your work from the gallery prices or do you have to keep everything the same? Yeah, I pretty much keep the same price. You know, as far as commission goes, a lot of artists get very upset when galleries take 50%. I, I understand that there are some galleries that are trying to take more. I just think it's awful, and artists shouldn't do anything with galleries like that. But I always felt that 50% was fair. The reality is, is that when I hung my work up in galleries, they have their overhead, they have their rent, it's a difficult business, and they're getting the customer from me. So I have no problem with the gallery commission. When I sell direct, the reason I don't discount it is, is because I have my overhead. I have paint, I have studio, I have, you know, storage prices. I'm essentially running a business. So how do you get something into the Met and MoMA? What was that like? How did that situation come about? Well, the most important thing to understand about getting works in museums is you don't do it. The relationship of museums to collectors and to galleries is, again, an economic relationship. Museums depend on donors. Very rich collectors often buy works from galleries. They donate to museums. A lot of that is way beyond you. So as an artist, you really have no power except your work. That's immense power, but that's a different kind of power than money. It's not liquid. This power that you have you're dependent on people falling in love with your work. Now, how I got into museums is really very simple. People fell in love with my work and they bought it for museums. Collectors encouraged museums to collect my work. In the case of the modern, they encouraged them to collect it, to put it up on the wall, to give me a show. Uh, a curator at the Met fell in love with my work and bought it. Another collector uh, at another time donated my work to the Met. So really, it's out of your hands, and you really have to honor that and not try to like obsess over it. Everything in life depends to a certain extent on luck. And as an artist, your entire life depends on luck. So 
the other thing I notice about you in particular is just you're always excited and motivated. And so, like, you still just love it. Find that making art and making music incredibly inspiring. Um, it's still incredibly inspiring to me. I can't imagine living life without it. And one of the things that always propels me forward, feeling that, you know, I want to live to be 120 is because I love doing this. So if you do what you love, I think you're going to be very happy. How does music influence your art and how are musicians as artists different or the same as fine artist painters? That's a great question. That's really interesting because I love doing both. So there's a great deal of difference and great deal of similarity. In the visual arts, it's not about collaboration at all. You're very influenced by other artists and other artists' ideas and musicians. Uh, Miles's music influenced me tremendously. Ornette Coleman influenced me tremendously as a visual artist. Thelonious Monk, too. There's many musicians. But as a musician, you're actually collaborating. That's an extraordinary experience. It's, it's really very, very exciting. You're listening to other players. You're learning from other players. You're creating space for other players to express themselves in the context of what you're doing. And they're giving you space. One of the things for me being accomplished in uh, the visual arts opened a tremendous amount of doors for me in the music world playing with really really extraordinary extraordinarily accomplished musicians you know i'm going to label destiny records and i play with harvey valdez and cameron mizell and they're such extraordinary musicians the the way to learn in music is just always play with people that are a billion times better than you do you think there's an opportunity for that in fine arts? It's a very solitary type of artwork, but is there opportunity for artists to work together on projects more than they do? Absolutely. The spirit of collaboration in art exists as well as it does in music. The main problem that I see in the visual arts is that when most people look at visual arts, they're just looking at the garbage that's being promoted by galleries and institutions. The art world is huge. It's way bigger than that. Stop looking at the New York art world. Stop looking at the gallery system. Start looking at other artists. See what you have in common. Talk to other artists. Share. Art is always about sharing and understanding the world today and exploring the world. Michael Hafka, it was great talking to you. This is fantastic. I think people will really enjoy it, learn a lot. Hopefully we'll be talking to you again and working with you again. Sure thing. Thanks. Thanks.